if you have your Bibles, if you would turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, as we continue our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be looking at the first 11 verses of Luke, chapter 5. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and we'll get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Luke, chapter 5, verses 1-11 through 11 this morning. Starting in verse 1, we read, So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitude from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. I couldn't really decide on one title for my message this morning, so I'm giving it two titles today. So it's going to be title number one, The First Jesus Movement. Our title number two, A True Fish Story. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you give us, under, give us understanding of your word and application in our lives from your word. Help us to have open ears to receive what you have to say to each one of us this morning personally, Lord, and corporately as a church. Lord, we do pray if there's anyone here that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you today. today. They're not born again this morning. Lord, would you especially speak to their hearts, help them to see their need for you, and that they would come to faith in your son Jesus Christ today. Thank you for our time together, Lord. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. After fishing all day and not getting so much as a bite, This fisherman went back to the shore, loaded up his boat, all his fishing tackle, and began driving home. But on his way home, he stopped at the fish market. And he tells the owner there, hey, throw me six of the biggest fish that you have. Throw them, he said. Why throw them? The fisherman replied, because I'm going to catch them. I may be a lousy fisherman, but I'm not a liar. (laughs) Went over better first service. Didn't go over so well second service. Even worse, third service. But today we're going to look at one of the greatest fishing stories of all time. And on top of that, it's true. Now, one thing we need to understand before we get into the story is that this is not the first time that Jesus met Simon Peter, James, or John. If you've not read the other Gospels and you've only read this, you might assume that this was Simon's first encounter with Jesus. So it would appear a little forward on the part of the Lord to to go up to some guy's boat and take command of it. But this was not Peter's first encounter with Jesus. There are actually stages of callings that Jesus did with his disciples, even as he does with us uh, in many ways in our lives. 
The first time that Jesus called the disciples, it's really recorded for us in John's Gospel, chapter 1, towards the end of the chapter, uh, where uh, you remember Andrew and John, the writer of the Gospel, are disciples of John the Baptist. John is baptizing, Jesus is walking forward, and then John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In other words, John says, Hey, now go and follow him. He's the one you should be looking to. So Andrew and John began to interact with Jesus. They talk with him. They believe he's the Messiah, and they put their faith in him. And you know the story. Andrew then goes and gets Peter, his brother, and then, now there's three disciples, and then Jesus goes and then finds Philip, and then Philip goes and finds Nathaniel, and so on. Uh, but that is the first calling. That's their calling, really, to salvation. Calling to be a follower of Christ. And I believe they did at that time put their faith and trust in Christ to the best of their ability and understanding at that point. Again, that was the call of salvation. But then when we come to where we're at this morning, there's a calling to go deeper in your relationship with Jesus. This is not a calling of salvation. This is a calling into discipleship and evangelism. Jesus says in verse 10, Peter, your calling is going to be to catch men instead of fish. Mark puts it this way in his gospel. Peter, uh, Jesus' words to Peter, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. It's a call to follow Jesus as a disciple committed to imitating the teacher. Jesus is saying, I will teach you how to do ministry. I will teach you how to share your faith. I will teach you how to bring others to myself. I will disciple you so that you can disciple others. Now, what led up to this calling? Well, if you're taking notes, we're going to see three things this morning. Number one, a teaching. Number two, some obeying. And number three, a following. But we begin first and foremost with the teaching. Look at verse one uh, through three. So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And here we see that as Jesus made his way onto the scene, we find that he has now quite a following. Now, if you go back to chapter 4 and you look at verse 44 for a moment, remembering that when they wrote the gospel, there wasn't chapter breaks in, in that. If you read in verse 44, it says that Jesus was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. The Greek word for preaching there is the word caruso. And preaching really was an important part of the ministry of Jesus, of the apostles, the early church. But we also read here in verse 3 that Jesus was teaching. Teaching, you see, is imparting information. Preaching, on the other hand, is imparting information and urging people to do something with that information. Now, a pastor should do both. Teach the Word of God and urge the people to do something with that information. We preach the gospel at the end and urge people to make a decision to follow Christ. But first comes the teaching through God's word, as we looked at last week in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8, where they read distinctly from the book and the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. And here we find uh, in Luke that Jesus is doing both. He's preaching and he's teaching uh, there, verse 3. 
The Holy Spirit is touching the life of the people uh, there in a powerful way. And now there's not just one or two, but there's a whole crowd of people following Jesus around, just waiting to hear what he has to say, to hear him teach. You know, there's been a lot of talk lately about spiritual revival, what's happening at the Asbury University of Kentucky, or what happened there, the release of the Jesus Revolution movie, talking about the revival that happened back in the 60s and 70s with the Jesus movement in the early days of Calvary Chapel. I'm not sure what went on in Asbury, and I can't say it was a true revival, but I can speak on what happened at Calvary Chapel and the beginning, really, of a, a Jesus revolution, a Jesus movement. That was truly the last, really, Jesus movement, Jesus revival we've seen. And, and if you've seen the movie, what was not mentioned in the Jesus revolution movie was the fact that, yes, these hippies were coming to faith in Jesus Christ, right and left, but it wasn't about the music though there was a place for it. It wasn't about some big, huge emotional experience. It wasn't organized. It wasn't planned. It was about Pastor Chuck Smith simply opening up the doors of the church to receive those less desirable, the hippies, to hear the Word of God being taught. And, and Pastor Chuck would simply teach the Word of God, simply, line upon line, precept upon precept, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, and soon, all these hippies were packing into this tent, because they didn't meet in the building anymore. They outgrew that. But they're packing into this tent, sitting on the floors. Why? Because they wanted to hear the Word of God taught. It was the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, that was touching the lives of this young generation. And as a result, they're repenting from their sin, and they couldn't get enough of God's Word, and they're worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth. And many of these hippies got a, a, a great foundation in the Word of God uh, as a result without any formal education. And, and they've started Calvary chapels throughout the whole world based, again, upon the Word of God. Again, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And that's what we're seeing here in chapter 5, really the beginning of the first Jesus movement. And it begins in verse 1 where it says, there was this multitude pressed about him to hear the Word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. I love that the people are just so hungry to hear what Jesus has to say, to hear the word of God. They, they want the scriptures taught. They want it explained to them. I see a hunger today uh, for people. Today. They're wanting the truth. They're wanting to hear it. See, that's where it begins. I think we need to get the picture of what's going on. You have the, the Sea of Galilee, the, the, the lake of Gennesaret. It's, it's called in this area right here. Uh, you know, you got Jesus, he's standing there. You got this crowd of people coming over the hillside, coming closer and closer, all these people. And I can picture him just backing up and backing up and back and looking behind him and just seeing the lake, just seeing the water. I mean, he's almost in the water. So he has this ingenious plan. Look at verse 2. He saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them. They were washing the nets. That would be Simon, Peter, James, and John. He gets into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to push it out from the land a little bit. And he's sitting down and he's teaching the multitudes from the boat. Now, what made this a perfect uh, auditorium, if you would, the shoreline of Sea of Galilee was, was special in that it was a little bit below sea level and around it stood these hills. So it made like this own little amphitheater right there. And so Jesus being out in, in the boat and just speaking up towards the crowd. But I can see here P Peter... 
he's there, he's, he's, he's you know, cleaning his nets. They'd fished all night, and, and he sees this huge crowd coming over the, the hill there. And he sees Jesus, and he's going, well, what's going to happen? What's going on here? And Jesus looks to Peter and says, hey, Pete, can I use your boat? Pete said, sure. And he comes over, pushes it out of ways, and he's holding it steady for Jesus as Jesus is teaching from it. Now, what happens next really blows Peter's mind, which brings us to point number two, obeying. See, Jesus is going to reach into Peter's heart and reaffirm to him who he is. Jesus is about to call Peter into this deeper commitment to follow after him and enter into service with him. But it starts with obedience. Hey, Pete, let me use your boat. Okay. Then we get to verse 4. Now look at verse 4. Jesus says, or we read rather, when Jesus had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Stop there for a minute. That always seems to be the case with Peter. Have you noticed that? I mean, he has this fishing business, but you always read, we've caught nothing. We tarried all night. We toiled all night. Caught nothing. Again, they caught nothing. You know, all over and over again. But it goes on. Verse 5. We've toiled all night. Caught nothing. But then Peter says, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. You might want to underline that in your Bible. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the, the net. There's no good to hear the word of God unless you obey the word of God. When we hear from the word of God and the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and our lives, it must be followed with obedience. Listen, those hippies from the Jesus Revolution of the 60s and 70s, they didn't stay involved with sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Maybe rock and roll, but there were rock and roll songs about Jesus. No, they, they heard the word of God. They were taught the word of God and they obeyed the word of God. Romans thirteen twelve says, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. They did that. And that's because a true Jesus movement that will last only comes about through repentance, through obedience to the word of God. Now, I want us to go back and notice Peter's objection to the Lord here. He says, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. In other words, Jesus, you're a great teacher and, 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 and all of the things of God, but, but, but we're fishermen, and we know these waters. And let me tell you, Jesus, man, we've been out all night, and there ain't no fish out there. There's nothing there. I mean, we've been up trying. There's no fish. And Peter could have continued with more excuses why it would make no sense to obey what Jesus was asking him to do. But Peter didn't do that. He simply just obeyed. Let me ask you this. Do you make excuses for not obeying what God's Holy Spirit is leading you to do? What God's Word is telling you you ought to do? Lord, I I know I should be in your Word today, but I'm so busy. Lord, I know I should set aside some time to pray, but I got to fix these lunches for the kids. I got to do laundry. I got to get to work on time. Lord, I'm working on this car. I got to get that done. I, I got this project that's due. Lord, I know you, you, you've shown me to share your word with my coworkers, but they're going to think differently of me. I, I might even lose my job. Do you make excuses for not obeying what God's Holy Spirit is leading you to do? Listen, you're only hurting yourself by missing out on the blessings that come from God through obedience. Let me ask it in a different way. Do you make excuses to not obey what God's word is telling you to do especially when it makes no sense to you or to others around you. 
I've got a life experience in this. In my own life, after working for the Postal Service for 17 years, which is a very good job, very solid job, good retirement, good benefits, I remember telling people, I know it doesn't make sense, but God has been showing me through His Word that He wants me to go halfway across the United States. I'm from Southern California. wants me to move to the Missouri and pastor church. Let me tell you, I've had more than a few people say, what, are you nuts? Are you sure you want to give a great job like that up? I mean, your wife is pregnant with your fifth child. You have great health benefits. Look at all you'll be giving up. It'll be 24 years this March 18th. And I would say that nothing I gave up compares with what I received from the Lord. God has been so faithful to me and my family and has blessed us so abundantly. But I had to make a choice to obey God or not. And I'm sure many of you have had to do the same thing in your lives. But see, that's where God's Word comes in. And that's where God's Word came in to me. God spoke to my heart. Joshua 1.9 Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Oh, great Lord, that's a great verse. I wrote it down. I had it put it on the table. God spoke to my heart again. First Chronicles 28.20 Be strong and of good courage and do it. Do not fear nor be dismayed for the Lord God, my God, will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you until you have finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. Oh great, another verse. Lord. That's confirmation. Then another verse, the Lord spoke to me again, Deuteronomy 31.6, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Lord, I get it. <laughs> I hear from your word. I'm listening. Man, I, I heard it from a pastor teaching. I heard it on a radio with them teaching on the radio. You're going, okay, Lord, you're just hearing it over and over again. God's making it very, very clear. I listened up. I said, Lord, I hear you loud and clear. The word of God through the Spirit of God, led me to obey God. Now, you have to respect good old Peter here because the Lord tells him one time, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Peter does it. Yeah, he tells him his heart. He says, Lord, yeah, but, but we've been fishing all night, but, but I'll do this. And there's nothing wrong with telling Lord your heart. He says, Lord, it doesn't make any sense to me. I, 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 I know a lot about fishing, but nevertheless, at your word, I will do what you say. And the result, look at verse 6. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. I mean, you couldn't put more fish in the boat without the, the, the boats going down. This is the greatest catch of fish in the career of these commercial fishermen. I think we can clearly see the principle here laid out for us in this section of Scripture. Obedience brings blessings. Now, we do not obey so we will be blessed. We obey because we are blessed, but obedience does bring blessings. It started in Peter letting Jesus use his boat to teach from, just giving whatever he had to the Lord to let the Lord use it, not expecting anything in return. He didn't say, okay, well, I charge 40 bucks an hour. If you're going to teach for an hour, it's going to be 40. No, he, does, he didn't do that. Here, here just, just take what I have, it's yours. Then Jesus said, hey, Pete, let's go out again only deeper this time and cast your net one more time. Peter could have said no, but he doesn't, and he's blessed abundantly. That was the second step. Listen, I think many times we're looking for the blessings of step two when we haven't been obedient to step one. 
You may be saying, oh Lord, I'm having marital problems. Would you just please change my wife? Would you change my husband? But God is saying to you, hey, step one, you need to do that first. You love your wife as Christ loved your church, loved the church and gave himself for it. That's step one. You submit to your husband as unto the Lord. That's step one. But Lord, we've been up all night and caught nothing. <laughs> we've been arguing and fighting and caught even one, not even one hour of sleep last night. But the Lord says, okay, but go back to step one. Do what I've asked you to do, and then you'll see step two. And what I can do in your marriage will blow you away. It'll be amazing. Maybe another example, you're having financial problems and you're asking, God, would you please fix this? But that's step two. Step one is obeying God when it comes to that area of your finances. Being good stewards over your finances. Having a budget. Putting the Lord first when it comes to your finances. Maybe it's relational problems that you're having and you're not getting along with someone and it's heavy on you. are praying, Lord, just show them that they need to apologize. And God is saying to you, hey, that's step two. Step one, you need to go and you need to forgive them first. See, often we will, we will spiritualize and justify why we aren't doing what God has called us to do in the first place and then we suffer from it. We want step two before we've been obedient to step one. And oftentimes, God will allow everything to come up empty until you get back and obey what He tells you to do in the first place. Peter, as we've seen, fished all night but came up empty because God was about to do this incredible thing in his life that began with him being obedient to the Lord. Then the second step, Jesus said, throw your nets out again, and they caught this great number of fish, and their net was breaking. Peter's now blown away. Just amazed. Why is that? Because Jesus moved in a way in Peter's life that Peter understood. Peter knew that this was truly miraculous. Listen, regardless of how many fish Peter did or didn't catch in the past, Peter knew all about fishing. He knew his stuff. A catch like this has never happened before. It's impossible. Yeah, Peter had seen other miracles. This wasn't his first, but this was one that affected him personally. You know, maybe you've heard of a miracle here or there, how God did this amazing thing in this person's life or or that person's life. But then one day Jesus does this amazing thing in your life. And Jesus answers this prayer. He does something in your life that's just so amazing just for you. What happens? It's overwhelming. It's humbling. In fact, look how Peter responds to not just one, but two boats full of fish. Look at verse 8. It says, When Simon Peter saw it, He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. At this point, Peter saw Jesus in an entirely whole new light. He had heard Jesus preach, heard Jesus teach. He had seen Jesus cast out demons. Out of a man in the synagogue, he, he saw Jesus heal his mother-in-law. He'd seen Jesus lay hands on all who were sick and heal them, cast out even more demons, delivered them. But now, now Jesus had intruded into Peter's territory and shows Peter that he is even the master of the fish in the sea. And Peter's blown away by it and responds to Jesus with such humility. He's so stirred by what has taken place that he recognizes the fact that no one but the creator of fish could ever have commanded that many fish to come into his net in that way. 
And at that moment, Peter realized that he was in the presence, not only of the greatest prophet that ever had risen in Israel, not only the greatest teacher that had ever come to mankind, not only is the most remarkable miracle worker that the Jews have ever seen, but he was in the presence of the one and holy mighty God. And the only words that can come out of his mouth in verse 8, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. And he fell down at the feet of Jesus. Listen, whenever we read in Scripture where someone is brought into the presence of God, it always has the same effect on them of making that person realize his own unworthiness, his own sinfulness. That's why in Isaiah chapter 5, you read that and Isaiah is saying, woe to you and woe to you and woe to you and woe to you. Then we get to chapter 6 and we read that after Isaiah sees the Lord sitting on his throne, high and lifted up and the glory of his train filled the temple. Isaiah says, woe is me for I'm undone. Have you ever read Isaiah chapter 6 verse 5 in the New Living Translation where Isaiah sees the Lord? I like it. It says, then I said, it's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips, yet I have seen the King, the Lord of Heaven's armies. It's all over. I'm doomed. This is horrible. Daniel had a similar experience in Daniel chapter 8, chapter 10, verse 8. It says, Therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Whenever someone is brought into the presence of God, it always has the same effect. Suddenly, you see yourself as you truly are, a sinner. You see, when we compare ourselves to other people, we don't look so bad, do we? But once we compare ourselves to the presence of the Lord, to Him, then we see our own sinfulness. And it's humbling. Because we can usually find somebody who is worse off than ourselves. But the real question is, how do you stand up Against Jesus. He is the standard. He is exactly what God intended man to be. He is exactly what God intends you to be. In fact, His Word tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Let me read that in the New Living Translation. For God knew His people in advance, and He chose them to become like His Son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been thinking you're okay because you've done these good things or that good things. I'm a good person. At least I'm better than the guy, next guy. But how do you measure up against Jesus? It's a great test. The answer is you don't. <laughs> He's perfect. He's holy. He's sinless. And you and I are sinners. Whether you admit to it or not. I read a story about a a man who once said to a preacher, I do not think that I'm a sinner. The preacher then asked him if he'd be willing for his mother or sister to know all that he had done or said or thought, all his motives and all of his desires. After a moment, the young man said, no, indeed, I certainly would not like to have them know that, not for all the world. The preacher said, guess what? You're a sinner then. Man can talk all he wants about his goodness and his good deeds, but the Bible clearly says the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Nothing you do, no good works can make you right before God. It's only what Jesus Christ did upon the cross that makes a difference. He went to the cross, died for, you, for your sins, rose again from the grave. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God, Second Corinthians 5.21 tells us. Isaiah, Daniel, Peter realized that 
that they saw God. Then they saw themselves and said, Woe is me. Depart from me. I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Listen, if I don't take that same position as Peter or Daniel or Isaiah, then I cannot truly say that I have met Jesus. That's why when you meet a person filled up with spiritual pride, you have to wonder if that person truly has had a vital encounter with God, if they've truly been born again. Because a vital encounter with God will always result in in poverty of, of spirit, which is the direct opposite of pride. Now here's the great thing. Psalm 34, 18 tells us, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Isaiah 57, 15, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Jesus never cast off the person who comes in humility, who comes in repentance to him. Peter admitted, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. And John tells us in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful, he's just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's all it takes. Yet today, the tendency is to make excuses after excuses. I've not sinned, I haven't done anything that bad. Even though John tells us in 1 John 1, 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I read the story about Frederick II, 18th century king of Prussia. He went on an inspection of the Tour of Berlin prison. He was greeted with the cries of the prisoners who all fell on their knees claiming their innocence. Oh, I've been imprisoned unjustly. While listening to their pleas of innocence, Frederick's eyes was caught by this solitary figure in the corner, a prisoner seemingly unconcerned with all the commotion. Why are you here? Frederick asked him. Armed robbery, your majesty. Were you guilty? The king asked. Oh, yes, indeed, your majesty. I entirely deserve my punishment. At that, Frederick summoned the jailer. Release this guilty man at once, he said. I will not have him kept in this prison where you will corrupt all these fine, innocent people who occupy it. Again, Jesus never cast off those who would come to him in full repentance. And he, in turn, will forgive you and restore you. And on top of that, he then allows us to be used by him to work in other people's lives. Look now how Jesus responds to Peter's brokenness in verse 10. Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. This brings us to point number three. There was a teaching. They obeyed number two. And number three, there's a following. Jesus says to Simon, Peter, and the boys, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll catch men. It's a calling on Peter, James, and John's life to go deeper into that relationship with him. A call to discipleship. A call to evangelism. And Mark's account of the same story he writes uh, in Mark 1, 17 and 18, Then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. Follow me. That's discipleship. I'll make you fishers of men. That's evangelism. Notice that Jesus didn't call them and say, Okay, I want you guys to, to follow me in a moment. I want you to go to Bible college first and take some courses on on, you know, theology, on, on evangelism would be great, maybe on, on discipleship. Get back with me when you got your degree in four years. He doesn't say that. He simply says, you follow close to me, 
and I will do this work in your life. I will make you become fishers of men. You just hang out with me. Just follow me and you will, you'll, you'll, you'll see things, you'll watch things that, that are going to happen that's going to blow your mind. And in turn, you will start doing these same things. That's discipleship. I read that there are six stages of a discipleship and here, here's how it works. Stage one, I do it. Stage two, I do it, you watch. Stage three, I do it, you help. Stage four, you do it, I help. Stage five, you do it, I watch. Stage six, you do it. That's the steps of a discipleship. Jesus was saying to them and to us, I will teach you how to do ministry. I will teach you how to share your faith and bring others to Christ. I will disciple you so you can disciple others. Just hang out with me. Listen to my teachings. Listen to my word. Obey what it says. Be my follower. And the Lord would take these men and use them for His glory and turn the world upside down for for Jesus Christ. The very first Jesus movement. And He challenges us to do the same thing this morning. Come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Finally, verse 11, it says, So when they had brought the boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Now let's think this through. The biggest part of their training for discipleship and evangelism actually came from them being fishermen. Because if you think about fishermen, if you're a good fisherman, you have certain traits that that kind of parallel with evangelism. First of all, you have patience, right? If you're a fisherman, you have to be patient. You'll, you'll sit for hours in the cold or the heat just waiting for that little nibble, waiting for that bite. As a fisherman, would you make that same commitment to see one unbeliever come to Christ? Maybe it's 45 degrees this Friday. You come in a little cold, but hey, you know what? Maybe someone I, I can talk to with the GO team and share with them. It takes time to catch fish. It takes time to see people come to faith. Secondly, as a fisherman, you know, we know fishermen, they love to fish. I mean, you don't even need to ask. A true fisherman will let you know. Hey, I'm going fishing tomorrow. You want to come? Hey, I'm taking the boat out tomorrow. You want to come? Hey, it's going to be great. They'll tell everyone they're going fishing. Why? Because they love to fish. Do you have that same love for seeing the kingdom of God grow? Are you eager for that, that great catch? Are you overjoyed at the thought of bringing one in to see one person Come into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The angels rejoice in heaven over one sinner that repentance. Is that your heart? On top of that, fishermen love to talk about their work, don't they? Oh, man, it was great. Man, I, I got this bite. Man, I had a big one on the line. You know, they'll even sometimes lie about their work. How <laughs> they almost caught the, the fish that was this big. I read a story about two fishermen who were once talking. One asked the other, what was his most amazing catch? He said, last week I caught a six-foot-long catfish. The other one said, well, that's nothing. The other day I hooked a lantern that had been on the bottom of the lake since the Civil War and I pulled it to the top and it was still burning. (laughs) One said to the other, you take four feet off your catfish and I'll take the fire off of my lantern. (laughs) Some evangelists, they do the same thing. They they bump the numbers up. Well, How many people came to faith in Christ? Well, I don't know. There's like, like 100 people raised their hands at the end of the service. Yeah, but you were offering them food after lunch if they wanted it. That's why they raised their hands. But you see, my point is, do you love talking about what God is doing? Do you love talking about the work that God has done? Oh, man, God is moving. God is working. Man, this is what happened over It's great. I mean, he has done great things, and he's doing great things. Pass the word on. Man, fishermen, you know, they love talking about fishing. 
got this new lure, got this, got this new Bible, you know, man, it's, it's uh, I don't know, the military Bible, it's, uh, you know, it's this Bible, it's, uh, you know, housewife's Bible, it's, uh, I don't know, they have a Bible for everything nowadays. But I love talking about it, I love talking about God's Word. See, Jesus would show them that from now on, evangelism and talk of evangelism would be these fishermen's heart's desires. Seeing people come to faith in Christ is what they're going to be talking about. There's a few other parallels that we see in a fisherman's life and evangelism. Fishermen know a few will get away. Not everyone you share the gospel with will come to faith. Fishermen know that they will still rejoice over what, what they catch. Well, that's one. Praise the Lord. One came to know you. Fishermen know that sometimes they need to go to different locations. Man, there's no, everybody saved over here. Let's see where we can go. We can preach the gospel. Fishermen know that they need to mend their nets or even sometimes go about things differently, tossing the net over to the other side of the boat. Now present it this way, maybe present it that way. All these have, have parallels to Christian evangelism. But Jesus says, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. They got it. They understood. Because Jesus came to them on a level in which they would understand. They forsook all and followed Christ. It says the same thing to you and I this morning. I want to use you to lead people to me. Will you put that net out in the water? Will you cast that, that rod out there, that line out there? I want to close with this story. The story has it that Mark Twain loved to go fishing, but he hated to catch fish. The problem was, you know, he went fishing to relax, and catching fish ruined his relaxation, since he had to take it off the hook, you know, and, and, and you know, do something with it. When he wanted to relax uh, by doing nothing, people thought he was lazy. But if he went fishing, he could, he could relax, you know, if he wanted to. But people would look at him and see him, you know, sitting there by the river bank, and they would say, "Oh, look, he's fishing. Don't bother him." So Mark Twain had this perfect solution. He would take the fishing pole, line and bobber, but he wouldn't put an, a hook on the end of it. He would cast it into the water, lay it back on the bank. That, that way, he could relax all he wanted, and he wouldn't be bothered by neither man nor fish. I think Mark Twain is a lot like many Christians today. They have the pole in the water, but there's no hook on the end. They're not fishing. They're relaxing. Do you think this is what Jesus had in mind when he said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men? Listen, Jesus called to them to come and to us to come and follow him and says, listen, I will do a work in you to change your heart that as much as you love fishing, it's not even going to come close to as much as you're going to see the love of souls being saved. And let me tell you, there's nothing like seeing someone come to faith in Jesus Christ. If you've had the privilege of leading someone, if you've had a privilege of discipling them and seeing them change and seeing them grow, it's an amazing thing. Listen, Jesus doesn't call everyone to give up their current employment and go into full-time ministry or go out into missionaries to some foreign land. But He does call all of us to be fully devoted to Him whatever calling in life you may be in. In fact, this is your mission field right now. You can have an incredible impact for the kingdom of God right now where God has you, be it in your job, your school, your neighborhood, or your family. I think sometimes we can over-glamorize going out into the mission field or going into full-time ministry. We need to be faithful where God has us uh, before we start thinking about going someplace else. Perhaps you're in a situation today where Jesus is saying to you, launch out into the deep and let down your head and trust me. Maybe he's calling you to in a deeper relationship with him. It might even seem irrational to you. It might even seem that he's, he's shaking up your comfort zone. Maybe you feel like you've tried long enough, you've waited long enough. Listen, you're not going to be truly happy 
until you see the power of God in your life, until you first do what God is telling, telling you to do. Be obedient to Him. And then you'll see great and mighty things which you would never expect. As Jeremiah 33 tells us, Call on me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Finally, as we close, we've been talking about fishing for men, sharing the gospel. Let me throw the net out before we close. Do you know Jesus Christ? Maybe someone brought you to church this morning and, and maybe they used lunch afterwards for bait. You know, <laughs> now, take your lunch afterwards. Maybe they've been, been just, you know, on you all the time, all the other time, and, and now you're here. Let me, let me tell you, it's the best decision in your life. You, you, came, you came to be here because it's all worth it. You give your life to Jesus Christ and you'll be amazed what he could do. I've watched people change drastically from what they used to be. I know I've seen some of your old driver's license. I know what they look like. Man, you were scary before you came to Christ. Listen, God can do that for you. The Bible says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. God can give you a fresh and new life. He can make you a new person. You'll be the same, but, 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 but your heart will change. Your outlook will change. Your attitude will change. And more importantly, your final destination will change. You'll no longer be on your way to hell, but on your way to heaven. Say, so what do I need to do? Well, like Peter, you need to admit that you're a sinner. Don't make excuses for it. Don't try to rationalize it. Just like Peter, say, I am a sinner. And apart from your relationship with you, God, I am on my way to hell. Please forgive me. Do what he did. Don't try to clean up your life first and then come to Christ. Don't say, well, I'll, I'll make a few changes. I'll try to be a better person. I'll do some good things. And then maybe I'll be ready. No, you come to Christ with your problems. Don't clean fish before you catch it. You know, afterwards. God cleans his fish after he catches them. Now, fortunately for us, the Lord isn't going to scale you and rip you open and tear your guts out like we do for fish. But you come to him today. With all your problems, all your sins, God will forgive you of every wrong that you've ever had done. He'll wipe the slate clean. Pretty simple. Just repent of your sin. Say, God, I'm sorry. I commit my life to you. Surrender your life to Him. You can be born again today and experience this life we're talking about. Maybe for some of you, you had a spiritual lapse in your life. You, you met Jesus. You were walking with Him for a while. But like Peter was here, he was out in the boat, mending his nets not really following Jesus as close as he could. Maybe it's time for you to come back to that relationship with him. Make that decision today. I'm going to walk with you, Jesus, close to you from this point on. Follow you from this point on. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love and grace. Thank you for the work that you're doing in our hearts and in our lives. Thank you for the work that you're doing in this church, Lord. I firmly believe from the Word of God through your Spirit of God, you're doing a great work of seeing people come to faith in you. We're seeing a, a work that you're doing here, Lord. And Father, I do pray if there's anyone here that is yet to give their life to you, they're not born again this morning, would you touch their heart? Would you touch their life? Help them to see their need for you, that they would turn from their sin and turn to you today. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, is there anyone here you want to give your life to Jesus Christ? This is just between you and the Lord. I'm just going to ask you to lift up your hand if you want to make that commitment to Christ, if you want your sin forgiven. Just raise your hand so I can pray for you this morning. Make that commitment to Him to say, Lord, I, I want that forgiveness. I need your forgiveness. You're holy. You're perfect. I fall short. I'm a sinner. I'm undone, as Isaiah said. 
but I know that you'll offer me forgiveness and grace if I just confess that to you. Anybody at all, just raise your hand before we close. Lord, again, thank you for this time. We ask for an infilling of your Holy Spirit that as we go our way, Lord, that we would make disciples and that we would seek, and, 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 uh, seek people who don't know you, Lord, and we would lead them to you in a relationship with you. Thank you for our time this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.